Hello and welcome to the Grace Avenue Church Podcast. As you listen to this message, I pray that you're built up, encouraged through God's Word, and I pray that His Holy Spirit leads you and guides you in the way that you should go. I pray that He gives you answers for your questions, healing and help for your life. Most importantly, I pray that this Word helps you to become more like Jesus and a greater influence for Him in our church and in your world. Now, let's grow together. Enjoy the message. Now, great to be with you this morning. Um, We've been in this series called Kingdom Families for the last uh, few weeks. And the first couple of weeks, I kind of broke that open. And then we had Pastor Dante as a guest speaker last week. How many were here for Pastor Dante last week? If you missed those messages, you should go back. We put both services on podcast. Um, very much worth hearing. Um, but today is another special treat. Uh, I told you there would be some surprises over the next several weeks, uh, including today and next week. And today I'm really honored to introduce someone who's very important to me, very special to me, someone I've known for a long time, um, 25, 30 years. I forget the time frame, but it's been a long time. But I was a kid. And um, I'm going to bring him up here now. His name is Mark Roy. Can you give him a hand? So Mark's going to be bringing the word today, and I could brag on him uh, for a while, but I'm going to let him tell you his story a little bit about who he is and what he does. Uh, but he does some incredible things uh, just across the nation and even, even across the globe. Um, you guys have seen, maybe even like on you know, the media, whenever there's like a disaster, like a tornado or a hurricane comes through, right, and it levels a city or a town. Okay, well, Mark is one of, one of the guys who has a ministry who goes into those areas and sometimes stays for weeks, a month, two months, serving people who, who literally have lost everything with meals, with basics, uh, connecting with churches, connecting with fire department and police. Just an incredible work, like literally stops his life. So when you're hearing about it on the news the next morning, he's probably got a, a, a trailers and he's already on his way to that craziness. Uh, that's just an incredible work. And he does a whole lot of other things. Yeah, let's give him a hand. Let's give him a hand. And we should also give his wife a hand because she gets rid of him for a month yeah, and she's happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She gets to just live life. And Susie Roy, can we just give it up for Susie Roy as well? So I'm going to hand it over to Mark. Please make yourself at home. Thank you for the first service. That was yeah. incredible. And I'm excited about this good. next one. So. Awesome. All right. Thank you, bud. Bless you. Good. It's good to be here with you. Uh, first of all, I was just kind of reminded... Uh, me and Susie were a part of church teams that were planting churches in Austin for over 20 years, and uh, I just had this rush of memory uh, that how much I want to thank everybody that comes and sets up every Sunday. So many people come to and go to church, and you don't realize there have been people been up since 5 a.m. Uh, loading trucks and setting up. And uh, it's one of those things, and one of the things I just want to speak to you real quick before I actually begin on my message is just really speak into where I believe the, uh, the church is at. Uh, we know that we went through a, a season of giving, and we were giving for, really, for the generations to come. This is, it's a very relevant thing to what we're speaking about kingdom family and speaking about generations, 
And, and the, the thing that I want to encourage you in, because a lot of people, you have to realize the pressure on leadership, and I was actually visiting some properties with, with Daniel and with the team and looking, and, uh, and they, uh, they were working, and it's not an easy thing to do uh, to find a place for a really large family. But uh, I just want to encourage you that everything that we have in the bank is seed for the generations to come. And, you know, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like you and your savings account. Like, um, some of us, maybe you've gone through um, uh, Freedom, was it Freedom? What is that? Yeah, Dave Ramsey's deal. You know, where they always have to have this savings account, you know, for repairs and stuff like that. Well, there's a savings account that is prepared and ready for God to move. But I really do believe, and I believe this was true back when I was watching Daniel and the team and everybody kind of frustrated with this, and is that there's a lot of times until you, until you move out of the familiar, you can't step into the new. Because see, familiarity has the tendency to breed complacency. And I can feel... Just even in this place, this new space, it's a whole different spirit on the family. It's different. It, it, is, it is an adventure that is there. And um, you have to make those moves. But I wrote, wrote down this one thing just a while ago. In order for you to get to the promised land, you have to change your posture. And I really believe that's what this is about. And I was reminded of one of my things that God spoke to me. And he goes, and it was this, are you willing to do some things that you've never done before? Try some things that you never tried so you can go to a place where you've never been. And that's where we are. Is that we're just trying, but I'm willing to try. I'm willing to do some things I've never done so I can go to a place where I've never been. Amen. So I just really want to encourage that there's nothing that has been wasted. Uh, we have money in the bank. We got our savings account ready. And Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the promised land for this church. We thank you that, Father, even as we're talking about family, that, Father, there's always a home for a family. So, Father, we thank you right now in Jesus' name, and I pray you'll agree with me that, Father, at the right time, at the right place, that, Lord, you will bring that revelation to us, and we speak it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I didn't get to do that. But I really want to encourage you, because, you know, it's, there's so many questions that go on, you know, and with leadership, and uh, it, it's a good thing. So we're continuing the series on, on Kingdom Family Series, Kingdom Life, and uh, I, love, I love this particular part right over here, what it says, Cultivating holy and righteous families because they are sovereign and established by God. And that's really where I want to begin today is to look at the biblical foundation of what it means to be a kingdom family. And, but let me just say this, my, uh, Daniel had introduced my wife, Susie. We've been married for 40 years. Uh, yeah, she's survived living with me. 
And uh, we have four children. We have Jordan, Ashley, which is here. Ashley and TJ go to this church here. Ashley and my daughter. Uh, and we have Emily and Bonnie. And then we have five grandchildren. We've got uh, Jordan and Evangeline and Maggie and Penelope and Sadie. And so I love being a grandfather. I'm okay with the father thing, but I really love being a grandfather. <laughs> Grandfather's really, really fun. Everybody just clapping as a grandparent, and it's really fun to do. And, uh, you know, I just, I love it. I enjoy it more. It's just really great. And uh, I'm, I'm trying to do really good. And I actually have a picture of uh, my kids gave me a couple of years ago, uh, just at, on Father's Day. And it says, Dear Dad, dear Dad great job. We're awesome. Uh, so thank you. So I guess I did okay. My kids are awesome. So. Uh, I don't know if that's true or if they just need to be humbled or not, but <laughs> we do have a fun family. We are not a perfect family, uh, but we have a fun family. My wife loves holidays. Christmas is her favorite. We still have Santa hanging in our house at this very moment <laughs> <clears throat> in a very tasteful place, uh, and it's kind of like a museum, but we love that. We love family. A number of years ago in 2019, just before COVID hit, and as Daniel had said uh, in, uh, earlier, that we've, we've known each other for a good number of years. A lot of that just being in some staff situations, relationships in churches and stuff. And, uh, and, but I really had not had any good time with Daniel. He hadn't really connected just with life and everything that's going on with us and planning the church here and stuff like that. But uh, like I said, in 2019, I had a dream one night, and it was a very vivid dream. And in that dream... I was standing before uh, Daniel and Janelle, and I was asking or saying something to them, and I was asking them as a representation of spiritual fathers for forgiveness to them. And, you know, it's one thing to dream it, but it was one of those dreams that I'm supposed to do it. Anybody ever have stuff like that? You know, you feel like... You're kind of going, okay. And so here it is. I walk into Grace Avenue, and Daniel is very, you know, cordial to me and polite. And probably at the same time, he's looking at it and goes, why are you here? You know? Uh, you know and, but anyway, and I just said, hey, man, can I have a moment of your time? And, and, I, and I did what I saw in the dream. And I just said, would you please forgive me as spiritual fathers? It wasn't like, I don't think I did anything to him. It wasn't that. It was just a representation of spiritual fathers. And uh, it just asked for forgiveness. It was really kind of a, a reconnect for us. But it, it really, I was, I was thinking of that when we were talking about this subject of the concept of kingdom families. And today, I'm going to focus real quickly uh, just on fathers. What does a heavenly father look like? Um, it could be uh, another title was God's a family man. Because he is a family man. And so if you have your Bibles or you can just read the scripture real quick. I just want to go through some scriptures here and just share with you the biblical concept of kingdom family. Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28, God said in verse 26, let us make man in our image according to his likeness and let them rule over the fish and over the birds and over creepy things is what it says there. 27 says God created man in his own image and in the image of God, he created them both male and female. And the Lord blessed them, and he said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue, rule over all of creation. So we can see there in the beginning 
that each one of us were created in the image of God, and we are created in the image of God, both male and female, so that we may be family. So it's from the very beginning beginning of this concept. My father, uh, which was a pastor, he used to say this all the time. It's one of those things that I really remember him saying, that the two institutions on earth where God gives his full authority to function in and to function through are two things, the family and the church. The family and the church. And so it's so important that we understand what kingdom family is, both in our own individual families, but then as a kingdom family, as a body uh, that we are here to represent God. God said in Genesis 1 verse 31 that he had created, he saw that all that he had made, and he looked at it and he says, it was very good. So I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, you look very good. Right now, just say it to him. You look very good. That's what God has to say about you this morning, that you look good. So God has set the earth, set it up to be filled with family, and he specifically uses that as a concept of how he wants to begin rule on the earth. So Adam and Eve, of course, you know were created. They have two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel uh, are growing up. They have a conflict that takes place. I'm not getting into that, but Cain ends up killing Abel. So we see see family dysfunction in the first family. So unless you've killed a brother or sister, your dysfunction's not as bad as what theirs was. Okay? And so, but there's dysfunction. But dysfunction always comes because of the introduction of sin. It wasn't that way before. That was not the way it would have been if, if they would not have fallen to temptation in the garden. But yet, that's what we see that took place. So no matter what your dysfunction is, God takes dysfunctional people, dysfunctional families, and he can use them. In Genesis 5, verses 1 through 3, it says, This is the book of the generations of Adam, that in the day that God created him, he made him in the likeness of God, and he created them male and female, and he blessed them. And then, in verse 3, very interesting verse, when Adam had lived 130 years, he became a father of a son. Hello. (laughs) Look to your neighbor and say, Hey, it's never too late. Now, I'm not talking about you having another kid, but I'm just talking about whatever promise that you haven't seen fulfilled or restoration, because Seth was a restoration of the son that he lost. But it's never too late. I mean, he was 130 flipping years old, and he has a son, Seth. It was a restoration that came to him. And so we see the Old Testament, and really when you look at studying family in the Old Testament, there's not a whole lot that's said about it. It's the concept of family, it's the concept of lineage, of generations, of he begot that and they begot that. I mean, it's all the begats, you know what I'm talking about? It's it's the understanding of generations, but they don't really give you a whole lot of understanding about family. And it's not that we really see that until we see the New Testament. And I believe the reason why we do is because that's when Jesus came in line. That's when Jesus took the relationship with God based off the old Ten Commandments. We see success and failure throughout the New Te- Old Testament of families that did follow after God or didn't follow after God, and therefore the result that we would see, and ultimately 
It's a list of failures of family to be able to walk according to Ten Commandments. And that's why Jesus had to come. And even the terminology that we hear about Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's family language. He gave his son. And so the hope that we have is that because of Jesus, because of the dysfunction of sin that we see in the Old Testament, beginning with Adam and Eve, we begin to see proper healing and restoration, a function of what it means to be family. Malachi 4 verse 6 says this, He will restore or turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And the hearts of the children to their fathers, so that I will not come and strike the land with a curse. And I really believe that's one of the things that God is doing in the church. I know that is a huge emphasis in this community of raising up strong men and fathers. Now, when I talk about fathering, this is not a sexist thing. Uh, it's just the terminology of the Bible. Because when I speak of fathering, it's fathers and mothers. I mean, it's, there's always a male tense that's used many times, sons, but I'm speaking of really of what it takes to build a healthy family, which is in the likeness of God, both male and female, it is needed. So when we think about that, we think about family, all of us have generations that have gone before us. Uh, we talked about here the, the, the power that we see in generational blessing and cursing. I, I came from a really great family. I had my father, Mac and Louise Roy. Uh, they were amazing parents. They had great relationship. There's a couple of pictures you'll see there. That's my mom and dad. I don't know how they were there, but that's my mom. Was she pretty? And, but they're just amazing, amazing parents. They weren't perfect, but they were just great parents. And I really came from uh, very much a faith-based uh, my parents were both educators. Uh, they were also pastors. My dad was always bivocational uh, in his ministry. Uh, and, and when I was about 18 months, I was four, uh, the youngest of four children. We were living in Corpus Christi where I was born, and we moved all the way to Fairbanks, Alaska, 10,000 miles away. My dad didn't have a job, and he just moved on faith, believing that's where we're supposed to go. Now, that's one thing you were just talking about moving across the other side of town. But when you're moving 10,000 miles, you're selling everything that you had. The only thing that we shipped was my mom's organ because she was a keyboard player. And we end up at Elson Air Force Base. My dad was a volunteer chaplain there. We lived on base for a short period of time until one Wednesday night. Uh, we went to uh, a church to visit at First Baptist Church, North Pole, Alaska. And yes, that is Santa Claus's church. Uh, the, uh, the post office looked like, I, I remember, I, I'm, I'll find a picture of this. There's a, the post office looked like Santa's house and all that stuff. But we walked in on a prayer meeting uh, on a Wednesday night, all six of us, four children, my parents, and they were having a prayer meeting and they were praying for God to send them a pastor. So guess who became their pastor? My dad. That's how sovereign it was. So my, he moved 10,000 miles. So all I'm saying, I have a heritage of faith. And I have a, probably a heritage of crazy. Because I've done many things, maybe not that extreme, but some extreme things. So all I'm saying is, is that all of us have good and we have bad things that come down from generational lines. 
But what I love about the power of the blood of Jesus is all those good things, we say yes and amen, but all of us have some things that have been passed down generationally. We want to say no, and you can go there. I don't want you in my life. And see, that's the power that we have because of Jesus. That just because abuse or violence or poverty or whatever has been passed down from generation to generation to generation, it doesn't have to continue with you. You can stop it in the name of Jesus. Amen? My, my father and my grandfather, uh, his name was Shorty Roy, and it's because he was 4'10", little bitty dude. And my dad wasn't real tall, but he wasn't that, but that, that, that was his name, Shorty Roy. And when my dad was born, my grandfather was an alcoholic before he met Jesus. So him and my mammer, that's what we called grandmother, we called her mammer, uh, they end up meeting Jesus, the lives were changed, my grandfather straightened his life up. My dad had six brothers and sisters, four that really followed after God, and then two that prematurely died in their life because of what? Alcoholism. And I, I say that just to say that just because that's the way it's been in your family, it can stop with you. Amen? And that's the power of the cross. That's the power of being a part of a community. That's the power of being able to sit with people that can counsel you, that in the name of Jesus we can break off generational curses, and we can say yes and amen to the good things. Okay? So I want to give you that concept uh, that you have power to choose. Earl Polk, which was a teacher years ago, had a great empower, uh, impact on my life. And he quoted us, and he said this, The greatest power that God has ever given man, it is the power of choice. You see, we are the only religion on the earth that we don't make you choose. Jesus has always given us the choice. We see it in Joshua 24, verse 15, and it says this, But if by serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself the day, this day who you're going to serve, whether it be the God of your ancestors serving beyond Euphrates or the gods of Amorites in the land in which you live. But as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. And so it's a choice that we make. In 1995, Susie and I and our four kids at that time, we were living in Austin, Texas. We had been a part of a church there 15 years with a church plant, and we felt like the Lord was leading us to a translocal ministry where we'd be traveling and doing different things uh, and even a little bit stuff in missions. And so in doing so, uh, we were setting up a, a new ministry, if you will, a parachurch organization. It was called Generations for the Nations. And in the beginning of, of that ministry, the Lord gave me like a purpose or a vision statement of what we were to be about. And this is the quote that we have here, is that God wants to take the wisdom of the old generation, the resources of the middle generation, and the zeal and the energy of the young to prepare the church for the end time harvest. You see, in order for kingdom family to be built... It has to be generational. You have to have the older generation, the middle generation, and the young generation. I can remember that that word was so profound to me. 
And uh, I remember telling my Baptist mother that. She just shook her head at me. Um, that the Lord, actually why I got an earring, <laughs> was not to be cool. Is that I knew that God called me to be a bond servant. To serve the next generation. Now, my, my Baptist mom didn't get that. What are you getting an earring for? You know. Left is right, right is wrong. And I, I got, <clears throat> but I got the earring, and the whole deal was about a bond servant. When you change from slave mentality to being a bond servant, a slave is something, it's because you're making, being made to do it, but a bond servant chooses to continue to serve the master by choice. And they would put their left ear to an auger post and they would punch it and they would put an earring in, the, in their ear. And it, it said to everybody around them that I'm choosing to do this. There's a whole sermon there. I am choosing to do this. I am not being made. <clears throat> so the Lord... The Lord, I know the imprint that he put on me and Susie is that we are to be a bondservant to help raise the next generation for the end time harvest. And so we have these three generations. So we have do not dishonor. The two schemes of the enemy that break generational blessing. Number one, we dishonor the old or we despise the young. Okay? Now what wisdom is... Wisdom, my definition, it's the application of knowledge and understanding in real life circumstances. In other words, I have learned from older, older people, older fathers and mothers, and I say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this, and they go, uh, we tried that. It didn't work real good, so you may want to rethink it. In other words, when you get the wisdom from the older generation, you get the, the benefit of the price that they've already paid for something. That's what wisdom is. It's just wiser, a better way to do it. Doesn't mean it's better than, but it just means it's different and it can help you. And so within that, there's the thing of honor. So we are to honor the older generation. That word honor means to value, to put worth upon. And that's one thing that I love about Daniel and Janelle is that they understand that culture, a healthy culture of honor. Now, that can get out of hand, too. I mean, the Bible tells us that we should honor authorities. It tells us in the commandments that you should honor your father and your mother, and your days will go well with you. Okay? So honor is very much a biblical concept. Larry Randolph, one of my spiritual fathers, says this, is that honor is the currency of heaven. What brings heaven to earth is when we understand honor. And so it says that we're to honor. We're taught to honor our spiritual leaders. But the one thing that we have to be careful of is that we can honor our leaders but not idolize them. Because, see, I was taught back in the spiritual fathering movement where a lot of that is, is that there was always this teaching about honor, 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 honor. And it ended up being, really ended up being idolatry and being abusive. And at the same time, so if you're in a place of honor, God says, you better honor my sheep. Because let me tell you what, there's a stricter judgment that comes to leaders when you have oversight over sheep. I mean, the Bible teaches that. You think you get disciplined harsh? You had not seen what he's going to do to leaders. 
Because we are representing the heart of the Father. So we can't, we have to have a good, proper, healthy understanding of honor. What we are experiencing today in spiritual freedom in the church is because of generations that have gone before us. The people that prayed, the people that gave, the people that did and laid a foundation. We know that even with our military. The freedom that we experience as a country is because people have laid their lives down in order that we can experience freedom on the earth. You hear what I'm saying? So it's this whole culture of honor. So this is very much a middle generation church. The age... In which you are, you have the ability as a middle generation, and you really have the authority and the opportunity. Maybe one of the greatest opportunities of your life is that you have the ability to touch the old generation and touch the younger generation. So the middle generation is very much a bridge leadership opportunity for you. And so when we look at despising, we talk about what breaks generational cycle. We dishonor the old or we despise the young. To despise means to look down upon. I mean, Paul even said to Timothy, let no one look down upon your youth. Okay? And the example that I thought about this was with David and Goliath. When David comes up and his, with his brothers and they're being all abusive to him and saying, why are you doing here? And Goliath's out there talking trash about the family of God and they're just sitting there not doing anything. And David goes, why ain't anybody doing anything? And so David, they said, well, I'll go fight. And their brother says, oh, you just being, want to get out there and be a showboat. And, but see, David had learned as a youth in the midst of the mundane of taking care of sheep he killed a bear, he killed a lion with his own hands and with a slingshot. So even as a youth, his methods were very kind of unorthodox of how you go fight a nine-foot giant. And yet he goes up there, but what happens? The older generation wants to put Saul's armor on him. And he probably can't even walk. I've heard he's probably like, you know, he's got all this heavy armor. And he goes, no. That's not what I need. So I'm not talking about the changing of theology because we need good biblical foundational theology like we get here at this church of understanding. But our methodology is going to be different. Okay? And so we can't despise the young because everything is going to evolve and even Jesus himself evolved to culture, to relate to culture. But God wants to take the wisdom of the old the resources of the middle generation is the energy of the young to prepare the church for the end time harvest. I'm going to lead you to two transformational truths that I want to impart to you this morning of, uh, of how you can really perceive and understand the Father. And I will get to those in just a minute, but let me just say this. Two things really can have a major impact on how you see the Father. Your relationship with your heavenly Father... Relationship with your heavenly father can be greatly skewed by your earthly father. Now, psychologists will tell you this. So depending on the type of father that you have, it is so easy for that to be projected on how you view the father. Does anybody relate with that? Maybe you had a father that was very harsh in discipline, and that's how you view your heavenly father. And we can project that upon him. And it also, for those of us that maybe we grew up in church 
And as I said, there's this great movement of God of spiritual fathers is that even spiritual fathers can skew or change how we perceive the heavenly father because spiritual fathers, just as earthly fathers, are given for the purpose to represent the father, but understand they're not perfect. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but Daniel's not perfect. Janelle would say yes and amen. (laughs) Because we're still imperfect men trying to represent a perfect God. And that's why we shouldn't idolize men. Yes, we should honor. It's very biblical, but we should never idolize them. And so earthly fathers and spiritual fathers can have a great impact on how we experience our heavenly father. And so I want to go to these transformational truths. Thank you for the team back there. And the first one that we'll be closing here in just a moment. The first thing here, the transformational truths about your Heavenly Father, is that number one, you have been chosen by your Heavenly Father. We find in Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 16, it says, So then, brethren, we are... Not uh, We are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to flesh, but you're, if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the flesh, the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those that are being led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. That word son there, it's a Greek word called weos. And it literally means in the Greek, a fully matured son. There's actually five different Greek words that denote different levels of maturity that we can have. But this is uh, that word there, the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, whereby you can cry, Abba, Father. Now, there's so much emotion to me in this particular part of representing who Father God is. First of all, it's the concept of adoption. It's a very intentional word. And it is a word that literally means that you were chosen. Susie and I had four children. At any time, up to 18 years old, we could have given them up for adoption. We could. We didn't. But as you know in the state of Texas, that if you ever adopt a child, if you ever abandon that child and say, I no longer want you, you can be thrown in jail. Because you didn't just have that child, you chose that child. And, and what I want you to hear today is that God has chosen you. He chose you. He chose you. And there's this thing of the spirit of adoption. And in my prayer, I feel like there's some people here today that you just really need to hear that. That you're not a mistake. No matter what's happened in the natural, but God has chosen you. And what I love too, that he says... It's from that place of knowing to be chosen that he uses this very intimate word of what we can call our dad. 
And that word is Abba. It's a very endearing term. It, it, it's pictured in you as a father or a mother and, and your child gets hurt and they know that they can crawl up in your lap and they know they can be comforted. They know that they can be loved because they know they're chosen. They are loved. They are accepted. And I hope today that somehow with this, if, if you feel distant from God, it's not because He's far from you. But a lot of times what keeps us in a place of distance from Him is that we, we think that He doesn't choose us. But He does. The spirit of adoption. The second transformational truth that we see is uh, found in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. And it's the second thing. We looked at, you have been chosen by your heavenly Father. The second thing that we see here is that you have been approved by your heavenly Father. It says in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 3, And after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting upon him. And behold, a voice came from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You see, the point that I want to make here is that Jesus had not done anything extraordinary. He was just a son. He just grew up in a family. A little bit of maybe supernatural thing when he was at the temple and he was reasoning with the, you know, the elders at the synagogue and this and that. But other than that, there's really nothing that he had done. And yet a voice came from heaven about his son that was getting ready for the first time he was going to be going into the wilderness to be tested. He was going to come out in the power of the Holy Spirit and then he would be released for the last three years of his life doing what he saw the Father do. Saying what he saw the Father say. You see the Father, the Son relationship. But what Jesus did was that he lived his life from a place of approval and not for approval. This is one of the areas that I struggled in. And I still do a little bit, but I'm, I'm a lot, lot better than what I was. Is that I began, I, I was more concerned with what man thought of me than I was what God thought of me. And as long as you are trapped, I call it performance orientation. It's performing for approval. And it's not that we don't seek to perform well. I want to perform well. I spent a whole lot of time preparing for this talk. No matter how good or bad you think it is, I tried. You know, I, I put a lot of hours. I prayed a lot. You know, so I... I'm not being dismissive that you get sloppy because we, Scripture says in Colossians that everything that we're due, we should do it as unto the Lord. So that's in my everyday job. It's how I do family. I'm supposed to do the best. But I was so trapped in performance orientation. And I so cared more about what man thought 
is what it literally did, it robbed me from ever discovering for who I, very, who I really am. You see, every one of you were created in the image of God. And when you truly begin to understand the image in which you're created in, you begin to discover your identity. And the stronger and understanding that you get about your identity, guess what that gives birth to? It gives birth to your purpose. But God says here about His Son that I approve of you. And you may be here this morning and says, Mark, if you had any idea what my life is like right now, maybe it was the stuff you did last night. Maybe it's the struggle that you're still struggling with. Some form of addiction or some form of hurt, whatever it is. But I want you to know, it doesn't matter about your past. Because see, the reason why we're approved is not because of us. We are approved because of Jesus. So when you ask Jesus to come into your life, the scripture says that he becomes an advocate for me, which is like a lawyer. So I stand before Father God. I will eventually in eternity, but on a daily basis, I stand before God and the scripture says that if we will confess our sin for him, he's faithful and just to forgive us. But he doesn't do that because of me. He does it because his son represents me. So the approval of God comes because of Jesus. So I say all that to say this, is that I want you to walk away today knowing that there's a heavenly Father that has chosen you. There's a heavenly Father that approves of you. And I was reminded of a, another spiritual father that Daniel and I both will know, of Andrew Shearman. I remember one thing that he said, that God does not judge you for who you are, but He will judge you for who you refuse to become. You see, the, the intent is not to bring complacency and say that we can stay in a place of unhealthiness. Because you see, God just wants us to have a heart that's willing to change and that He'll do that. Let's pray together. There's a couple of people that that I want to just talk to quickly here. And then we're going to pray for the spirit of adoption, the spirit of approval to come on the house. But if, and as you just have your eyes closed, and if you would just say, Mark, when I hear you talk about spiritual fathers, or when I hear you talk about earthly fathers, it brings up a lot of pain in my heart. And, I, and I, I'm not asking you to come up or, or to do anything uh, but just really as a point of contact, you would say, Mark, I, I really want to receive prayer this morning for God to, to lead me into a journey of where I can be healed of all the wounds of the past that may have come from spiritual fathers. And if, if that's you, all I'm going to ask you to do is just to raise your hand up 
put your hand down. And I believe that by doing that, I believe that that just shows you the hands are going up everywhere. It just shows you that the intent of your heart. And so, Father, over my brothers and sisters that have raised their hand and some that have left their hands still up, Father, I come as a, as a father. I am an earthly father, and I am a spiritual father. Father, I speak into the pain. I speak into the hurt. I speak into the disappointment of my brothers and sisters that have their hands raised. Father, on behalf of their father, their physical father or maybe a spiritual father, Father, I ask for forgiveness for the hurt. I ask forgiveness for the anger. I ask forgiveness for the disappointment. I ask forgiveness for the sense of abandonment. I ask forgiveness for not protecting, for not providing, for not leading them in a healthy manner. Father, on behalf of those fathers, Lord, I ask for forgiveness. And Lord, I pray that right now that by your Holy Spirit, Father, where Lord, we know that because of those points of pain that there can be judgment and Lord, there can be bitterness. And Lord, there can be an inability in our hearts. And there may even be words that have come out of our mouth that says, I will never forgive them. But I want you to know your first step toward healing It is forgiveness. It does not, listen to me, it does not justify what was done. The abuse was wrong. The neglect neglect was wrong. So I am no way justified, but you have to be willing to forgive. I tell people all the time, bitterness and judgment is like a ball and chain. And it will keep you trapped to that. So, Father, I pray right now that by the Holy Spirit, you will grant my brothers and sisters the ability to forgive. And, Lord, I'm thankful that, Lord, that we are in a house that I know that there are abundance of counselors. What my encouragement to you is, is that find someone. Find a counselor. Find a pastor. And if you really feel that you need some prayer, and I know we'll have prayer people here to pray with you, but it really is a journey, and it really is a work. So, Father, I just thank you. Why don't you stand to your feet real quick? I'm going to pray this last prayer, and then I'll turn it over to the team here. Father, I thank you for this house. And, Lord, I thank you for the transformational truth that we have, that, Lord, that you have chosen us. I thank you that this is a house where hundreds and thousands of people will hear that truth that you have chosen them before they ever chose you. Father, we thank you for the spirit of approval 
uh, that you give upon them. The Lord, that we don't have to live our lives for approval, but we can live our lives from a place of approval. And Lord, I just thank you. Father God, I pray that you'll just minister your love, your acceptance over my brothers and sisters today. And uh, we speak it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I pray that that word blessed you. If you'd like to know more about Grace Avenue Church or want to know more about how to be a part of what God has called us to here in the city of San Antonio, or if you'd like to sow financially into our vision and mission, please visit us online at graceavenuechurch.com. Thanks so much for listening. We hope to see you soon.